0: Hey, and welcome to five compelling questions with Sean. This is the podcast where we speak with writers about writing. I am thrilled today to have my guest Lauren Chamberlain. How are you doing, Lauren? I'm doing great. It's so great to be here with you, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm so thrilled that you had the time to talk to us today, and I'm, we're speaking to you, you're in Toronto, so I can actually call you an international guest, and that's kind of fun, we have those every so often, we have international guests, even though. That's actually true, like,
1: (laughs) I'm technically international for about uh, four more
0: months. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll take it, it sounds, it sounds cool, so we'll just say it that way, so. Lauren, Miss Lauren Chamberlain, was born and raised in Michigan, she studied journalism and French at Northwestern University, and then moved to New York City. Where she worked for several years as a journalist, freelance writer, and content strategist, sometimes simultaneously. That sounds um, like a lot. She <laughs> currently she currently lives in Toronto, as we've already said, but um, will be moving back to the states in New York um, later this year. She told she told me, unless that's a big secret, we can always edit that out. Is that a big secret, or is It is that not a about? big
1: secret. I have been talking about it probably for over a year now and it's actually finally coming
0: <laughs> yeah I was like oh if you're like trying to like not let your family know you're coming back I might have messed you up there but if, if they're <laughs> cool with you coming back then I guess guess we're okay yes,
1: yes. I think with a little few my Toronto friends are not gonna love that they don't like when I bring up that I'm moving because I am gonna miss them but um yeah be back in New York in November <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's close though. I mean, it's, you know, you know, you can hop over there for, I mean, even from DC, it's only like, it's oh, like an hour flight. It's very, very yeah. close. Exactly. Very cool. So anyway, so we're here today to talk about your newest book and it's called Who We Are Now. Can you tell us about the book? Yes, absolutely. So Who We Are Now
1: is broadly speaking, a, a story of friendship. Um, we have our four protagonists, Nate, Rachel, Clarissa, and Dev. Um, and the book spans about 15 years, starting on their graduation day in the summer of 2006 um, and follows the next 15 years of their lives um, as they go through professional setbacks, um, losses, and finally, for two of them, actually, wild creative success. So it's about how as as their fortunes shift, um, the friendships that really seemed unbreakable in their early 20s are no longer so easy, um, something I, I hope a lot of us can relate to. And yeah, it's it's three sections over the course of almost 15 years um, following our four protagonists as they grow up and apart um, until, unfortunately, a shocking tragedy forces them together one more time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, it, it's really good. Um, I love the, the way it's written. I love the story, the premise and all that stuff. And it, you know, I had like flashes of like the big chill, which is sort of the, mm, yes, I the, love the, the big boomer chill. generation story. And then you you've included a piece, um, with the publicity materials, you've written sort of an essay about your inspiration. Yeah. So I just wanted that that's my first question. You you've clearly stated that it's a, you know, an up, maybe an updated twist or, um, not homage, but The Interestings by Meg Willitzer was it was an inspiration for you. Can you Absolutely. tell us about, yeah, can you tell us about that um, sort of inspiration and like, how does that work? If you're, you're like, you love a novel so much, you sort of want to like, spit riff off of it. Like, how, how does that all come together for us?
1: Yeah, well, I want, I want to be careful of saying, you know, riff or homage, especially because like, I I... You know what? It, it's the truth and I'm glad I said it, but like who wants, what What writer would be smart to invoke a direct comparison to Meg Wolitzer? Um, she is peerless. I am not saying this book is the interesting or directly comparable to it in any way, but I can't deny that that was one seed. You know, there are several seeds of inspiration, I think, that go into any kind of creative project. Um, And I read that book I mean, years ago, over a decade now, I can't remember the exact year it came out, but there was just something so interesting to me about that idea of taking on um, how success, particularly creative, um, professional success affects relationships. Um, You know, in my first novel, I was really interested in how diverging life events of sort of a different type, whether that's, you know, marriage or children or kind of the life paths people see for themselves affect our relationships from youth. Um, but the idea of like, how does professional success play into that? And who who's able to be truly supportive and happy for their friends? You know, how does somebody else's um, realization of their, of their dreams creatively or just professionally um, affect how we see ourselves? And that's definitely something that came from the interestings, you know, that notion of like friendship and relationship over time, plus especially like, what does it mean to live a creative and fulfilled life? Um, and how much does that matter t- to us? Um, that definitely came from there. So yeah, loving, loving that novel is kind of one seed. And then I would say the other one, which I think I also mentioned in some of the press materials and outreach was that, you know, I did go to Northwestern, um, they say, you know, write what you know, and I I absolutely am someone that, you know, went to liberal arts school there and then moved to, to New York, um, you know, right after in my early 20s. And so, you know, I, I was reflecting and just kind of remembering my my graduation day. Um, you know, none of the characters in the book are modeled on anybody that I knew. I actually lived in a house um, with all women. There were five of us, but just remembering that day of graduation and kind of who who do you think you're going to be when you're 21 or 22, um, especially if you're someone with creative ambitions um, and hoping to realize that into something professional. Obviously, life takes a lot of twists and turns that we can't always foresee. So I think. Some real world experience, some um, you know, drawing on, on other art that has asked these kind of questions and wrestled with it in its own ways, and then just wanting to make that I think a little bit more relatable to the millennial um, experience because you know, interesting is is very much kind of Boomer Gen X um, area. I think mostly I think they're most of the characters are Boomers. So and then witnessing that kind of societal evolution from the '60s and '70s through 2000. I wanted that to, you know, in my book, to be kind of more the the evolution of the all the issues millennials have have experienced over kind of the past twenty
0: years. Yeah, that was actually my next question. I had, a, <laughs> I was like, oh, see, I love when that happens. It's sort of like we're all just speaking organically, and it's it, yeah. flowing into what makes sense. So, um, I moved to New York City the day right after I graduated from college in nineteen ninety six. So it's the summer of 96. So it's like exactly a decade earlier. So I am yeah. Gen X. Like I'm yeah. solidly Gen X. I've 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 been ignored my whole life by everyone. It's just the way, that's <laughs> just what happened to us, um, which is fine. We're good with that. We're, all, we're cool with that. I, I know. Go. Did you read the
1: 90s by Chuck Klosterman? I'm going to get us aside here for a minute, but that was just such a fabulous examination like of that decade, which I was young during, but yeah, just all the Gen X stuff. So fun. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. And my best friend is 10 years younger than me. Exactly. So mm-hmm. it's it's fun that we just, we compare notes and I'm like, wow, <laughs> okay. Yeah cool we did not have the helicopter situation but you know we didn't have any of that yeah, totally my like, mom's like um i guess be home by dark or something and then just don't talk to people and you know just you know figure it out that was like our <laughs> right. our trauma was like figure it out and don't bother me unless it's really like you're bleeding or something so um <laughs> that was that was us so that's the question long long preamble mm-hmm. but there's and we've all been, well, not everyone has moved to New York, but I, I was so drawn to it because I had this very same, same situation for myself. And it's such a weird time in your life, an mm-hmm. exciting time where you just think, okay, this is, you know, it's, it's a major time where you're thinking, okay, what's my life, the rest of my life going to be like. And as you point out multiple times, it's, and what you're going to think it is a lot of the time. So there's, I just was curious about what is your you have a very specific spin on your this maybe not technically your generation, but this generation you're writing about the millennial generation. Yeah. Um, what is the what white what sets you all apart than anyone else that has done that same transition in previous generations?
1: Oh sure. Well, quite a few interesting factors, I think, especially when this book is set. So as you mentioned, I, I am a millennial, um, but the the characters are a few years older than me, but not not much. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, you know, you see them moving to New York in 2006, and then shortly after that is the, um, you know, 2008 financial crisis. So, you know, I think there's been a lot made of, of that um, in, in literature and other art forms since, but I did think that's a really interesting and defining um, moment for that generation that kind of comes of age, kind of maybe right at the tail end of that kind of gleaming aughts period, um, and then is kind of immediately hit with, I mean, all of all of the things that I think most of us are aware of, you know, the students, the student loans, I have two characters, you know, in the book who are dealing with student loan debt, and, you know, two who are not, Um, you know, then the collapse, which might mean job transitions, difficulty, you know, obviously, in in finding work for some people, obviously, not, not everyone. Um, But and then also, you talk a lot about, you know, the motion of millennials moving back in with their parents as a result of that. That's, not something that's the journey for most of the characters in my book, but I do have, you know, one one protagonist who's still living close to home um, in Chicago and definitely kind of more struggling to make ends meet, working at a bar and, and less certain about her her prospects um, from that point forward. So yeah, I think there's a little bit of kind of the um, you know, the financial uncertainty of that generation. Maybe the first ones, you could argue a little bit Gen X as well, but but certainly not the boomer experience of growing up and being certain, you know, you're going to get a job. You might have that job for. 20, 30, 40 years. Um, Yeah, definitely the first inkling of, you know, the financial prosperity that we saw of some of our parents or grandparents generation was not going to to be the case. That's definitely a factor. You also see the, (laughs) I think in a lot of my characters, the um, fruition of the, you know, millennials being really told we were special. Um, That's not everyone's story, but I know that was, you know, the very special child notion of growing up in like the 80s and 90s, not the um you know just come home because the streetlights are on of, of Gen X and Boomers just definitely you know you need to prepare yourself for getting a college education you need to prepare yourself for all of these things in life and cultivate cultivate your talents um and and yeah, I definitely see that I think in in my characters really wanting to pursue a kind of special artistic dream and like make a name for themselves rather than maybe just have have a steady job although that does vary a bit based on which character we're talking about because socioeconomic background plays into that a lot. You know, you can't really paint millennials all with one brush that they were all told that they were gifted and talented, that they were all automatically going to go to college, because that wouldn't really be the story of my character, Clarissa. But yeah, you definitely see those those strains in it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you guys are, I mean, I, I would never like to assume what anyone is, but I, I'm i glad you clarified that you are a part of that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me. And I, you all, all of you all are special. Everyone's special. You're doing a great job. You're doing good. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but you're, and I, I feel a lot of sympathy. Um, it, I don't know if that's exactly the right word, but a lot of sympathy for you guys, um, the, the newer generations having to live your entire lives online and comparing yourselves to everyone okay. else all the time. Cause that wasn't a thing. And I think that changes us, you know, our personalities and our, you know, our dynamics, um, When you're just comparing yourself to everyone else all the time, and it's like, or making sure you seem cool, or you know, making sure you post enough times, or things. and some people just totally disregard all of that and they don't do it.
1: So it's just fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is because for me, and then also especially my characters, I think uh, we are like the very, very last people that didn't grow up with that. Like in elementary, middle school, we we, there was still no social media for us. So it's interesting how that does kind of emerge in the book. You know, when these people are graduating college. Facebook is kind of new and they're taking photos at graduation that one of them will post on Facebook, two of them don't have it. And then through the book, you start to see it crop up a little bit more and more until you're toward the end where, you know, a character who's maybe a little estranged from the group is seeing news and updates on Instagram and feeling, you know, so that's definitely the elder millennial experience is like we didn't grow up with the attendant challenges of social media and it really emerged in our lives as teens or 20 something. So we're we're native to it, but remember what it was like without it, which is a really interesting space to to be in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really fun. And you, and you draw out a lot of these uh, things in the book too. Mm-hmm. So we do talk a lot about craft on the show. So I was just curious, you have, um, we're mapping out the novel now. So you yeah. have time jumps, which is always cool and fascinating and, and shifting POV, which I love and yeah. um, you do a really good job of that. So did you map all of this out ahead of time, or did you sort of write it organically? How did, what was your process in getting pulling all this together?
1: Great question. I actually just did a craft essay on this that I think will be out shortly after the book publishes, so it's definitely a topic I'm interested in. So for anyone who doesn't know the book, as I mentioned, four protagonists, multi-POV, um, and it's close third person. So the way the book is structured is that throughout the almost 15-year period, each character narrates a year sequentially. Um, So it's in the book is in three sections of four years each. um, And we rotate through year by year, which character we are um, closest to. And that was not the original structure of the book. That is a brilliant invention by my editor. So to answer the question of did I map this out? No, I am a notorious pantser, I always say versus, you know, somebody that plots ahead of time. I wish that were not the case. I always tell myself I'm going to outline in a more detailed fashion, but it still just went totally by the wayside this time. I knew a few big beats, um, but I I kind of let you know, kind of let the characters reveal themselves to me. An interesting exercise that I do though, that I talk about in the essay, is that when I have a big moment um, for characters, I will often write it in a few different ways. So I will write kind of a scene that is shown as like the view from nowhere. Um, let's see we'll use an example. There's a a pivotal scene of a, a ski trip in the book where the characters have um a big confrontation. I might write that as kind of a view from nowhere and then write it from a either first or limited third person view of one of the characters. And to see how those two scenes are different is really interesting. Um, you know, what is somebody perceiving? What slights are they perceiving? What do they know that other characters might not know? And I've done that exercise with quite a few of the scenes in the book. You know, if it were from Rachel's perspective, how does this argument seem if it's from Nate's perspective? Um, you know, what is he going to notice? What information does he have that other people don't, et cetera? So, having done that exercise was actually really helpful, not just for what it showed me about you know the the difference in, in a scene depending on on whose whose head we're in, but because I did end up actually doing a pretty substantial revision of the book. Um, I mentioned. I just kind of let it flow, which meant that when I was drafting, I was switching through the POVs at random. I was kind of letting somebody tell a scene or a moment based on whose perspective I thought it would be most interesting to be in in that moment. And I think, you know, the interesting's does a little bit of that. That's that's probably why I took that approach. It's a little bit freeform um, to when you're in each of the characters sections or perspectives in that book. I, my editor read it and she felt that, you know, the motion of the book would be a lot better if we were to separate this into one year from each character's perspective. And I honestly, I immediately agreed with it. I, I thought that was just a, a really smart way to structure the book and was really compelling. So I did that, but that meant rewriting a lot of scenes from somebody else's perspective. They had to change, you know, because it had been a free form rotation. Now we needed to like everything that happens in, in 2007 is Rachel, for example, so having done that exercise that I mentioned where I had already written, you know, a few scenes from a few different perspectives to get a better, you know, handle and weigh into them, ended up being really helpful. Um, So so that's kind of how I handled that. But long story short, no, did not map it out very well ahead of time. Discovered the challenges of doing that. Um, Multi-POV over many years is very, very challenging. Um, And yeah, I
0: learned a lot in the process. I was going to say, that sounds like a lot of math that I yeah. would not be able to do. <laughs> Without someone guiding the way, like, what am I, what?
1: You know oh, what, it gosh. actually is. And that's in the essay too, is the notion that I thought that writing four POVs would be about four times as challenging as writing one. And it's actually 12 because there every relationship between people is bi-directional. So like the friendship between Rachel and Clarissa is not one entity, it's two because it's how Clarissa sees Rachel and what information, you know, she might have or where she's at. And then Rachel knows things that Clarissa does not or perceives things she does not. So because of the the multi POV and the bi-directional nature of relationships, it's like a million different
0: <laughs> perspectives and things to keep straight. So, yeah. Yeah. It's like those, the strings on the map and the yeah. killer house or something. Yeah, so That's what, that's, what's going on here because yeah. events will happen, but it's kind of told from the perspective, like the, from the lens of the person observing it. So that's yeah. so interesting. Then, yeah, it's, it's, it seemed it's. Flows lovely, but it—I knew as a writer, I could see that it was. This is very hard. <laughs> I could see this was a hard thing to do. So good job, you. um Speaking about the characters, uh, since we sort of are naturally going into that, was it easier to get? And they're all sort of—I um I would say they're all sort of like extroverts, sort of you know, mm-hmm. how fun, the vibrant people. Was that was it easier or harder to get into any of their in, in their heads? Uh, yeah. Which ones were the easiest to write? Which one maybe were more challenging?
1: Great question. Um, I, I found them all challenging in certain ways because none of them bear a particularly close resemblance to me. Obviously, I think there are people ask who I'm most like. There's parts of me in all of the characters. You know, I, I grew up in the Midwest. Um, you know, Clarissa is from there as well. I went to Northwestern like all of them. I was a fact checker at New York Mag um as an intern like Rachel. And um, you know, I'm a writer like Dev. So there, there are little pieces of of me in all of them, but none of them are as, I would say none of them are as close to me as the protagonist of my first novel, even though of course all the events were were fictional. There was there was more of me in that character than there are in any of these. So different challenges for each, but I would say that I, I think Nate was the most difficult, which if people read the book, I think they'll probably understand why. Um, but yeah, there was just, I think that there was, for both Nate and Clarissa, more more research, more speaking to other people who had some lived experiences closer to certain things that those characters struggle with and, and finding a way to really kind of organically integrate those conversations and that research and kind of that background work into getting into the character as, as a lived person. Um, and I do agree with you that they are all certainly extroverted and social for the most part in the book. But some of them are much more interior um, as characters. So Nate is very interior. Like a lot of what's going on with him is his his thoughts, basically. And those aren't necessarily reflected, especially in the beginning in, in how he's behaving. I think he thinks maybe his insecurities are really clear. I don't think the other characters see him that way. They see him as the social, affable, successful guy that he appears to be um, on the surface. So Yeah, I would say that there were more sections that were easiest to write rather than characters. Um, There are some moments of Rachel's that were quite easy for me um, and fun revisiting some of the (laughs) New York mag days and what it's like to like kind of have your first job or internship at a magazine when you're young. There were parts of devs that I found challenging because of the background work, but also parts that I found really easy because I'm a writer. So some of the stuff about like how it's challenging to write a second book. That's very meta. That's for me when I was trying to write a second book. So I gave that to him. Um, Yeah. So more, more sections that were challenging and sections that were easier rather than there being one character that I really identified with.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. That's it's so cool that you have little piece of yourself in all of them. But I think every character you write has something of you know. Yeah. It does. This is, you have to have it, but it's yeah, it's really. It's and New York is a challenging place to to be, especially mm-hmm. when you're trying to figure stuff out. It's not, I always used to say, "What uh, every time I walk out my door, it's like twenty bucks, no matter what." Like every time I just walk yeah, out yeah. my door, and I spend twenty dollars just to even get somewhere. <laughs> coffee. It's like oh my god, no, I've just got to work, and I'm gonna have to have lunch, yeah. and you know, it's, just, it's not it's not the easiest place yeah. to to survive, but. Like they say, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. So it's um <laughs> it's a good training ground for for life if you are yeah. up for a lot of disappointment and rejection. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. Right. Yeah. Um and people yelling at you and bad smells. Um but otherwise it's lovely too. Otherwise, otherwise. it's um, great. <laughs> yeah yeah. I was just there a couple weekends ago. I just went up to visit and it was it's I still love it. It's very fun. Um so you're still sort of closer to I would say the beginning of your career, your writing career. I mean you yes. you're established. You're doing really well, but it's, you're not you're not aged at this point <laughs> you're like, well, you know what I'm gonna say I'm sure hope I'm closer to the beginning because I want to write a lot more books <laughs> I want to write yes, a lot more books, so <laughs> we're expecting a lot more from you because uh, we need we need more of your work but if you could go back and sell your younger writing self anything what would it be oh my gosh I, I feel like
1: I say this a lot but it's just because it's so true I think the biggest thing I struggled with in my early writing and my first book was just the notion of perfecting something as I went along It's not novel. I think all writers have struggled with that and have to conquer that beast. But I just I wish I could have impressed upon myself just how much it doesn't matter what your first draft is like. And that's what I say to everyone. I mean, books are built in in the editing and they're like paintings layered on top of each other. Um, I, I think of a first draft. Sometimes they even call them draft zero to put less pressure on it. But I think of them as like an underpainting for an oil it really doesn't matter much at all. Like it, it can help you sketch out the structure. For me, it helps me get to know my characters. They start two-dimensional and become more fully fleshed out as I write them and as I sit with them. But this book in particular, like I look at, I read this book and I go, I don't know where this came from. Like it, it because moments that stay there, things that were there from the very beginning, like the day I had the idea six years ago in 2017, before I'd even sold my first book, there are things that made it through unchanged from that. And then there's stuff that like literally was layered in almost like six months ago in a final, final round of editing. So yeah, that's my, that's my advice for my younger writer self um, keep going. And the first draft does not matter at all. Getting something done that you can work with um, over time
0: is what matters. That's amazing. I love that analogy used for the painting because I've heard uh, people speak about that in different ways, but that's the first time I've heard that sort of, that is awesome because it's sort of like you're going to give yourself the color palette maybe perhaps or not that you're working on, but at least it's just not blank. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Can't edit a draft that doesn't exist. That's the other thing I always say. So just get it done. That is such great advice. You're so you're see. I knew you would be. You're are wise beyond your years already. Oh, thank you. Um, that's perfect. So that that was the five. That was the five questions. You did a great job.
1: Oh, it was, was we so feel best. like, I'm,
0: yeah, it was fun. So, what's going on? Where can people find you? And you're going to go out on tour. Um, where can where can we follow you? All that kind of stuff. It comes out
1: on August eighth. Um, there will be a little tour. getting started. So on on the day that the book comes out, August eighth, um, I am in New York for the launch at Book Club Bar. Um, then I am doing an Instagram live with the fabulous, um, the Grateful Red, Katie, uh, she's a good friend of mine. And then the following week, I'm in Toronto on August 17th for an event here, and then Michigan, August 30th, toward the end of the month. So if anyone wants more information about that, I think Penguin Random House has it up on the book, the Who We Are Now book page, but it is also on my Instagram. So you can follow me and find me at um, Lauren JC. So that's L-A-U-R-Y-N-J-C is my Instagram. Um, and I also have a website, laurenchamberlin.com that I probably need to update with my wonderful um, social media manager <laughs> who handles all of that for me. I am not good at the website.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing when you're um, a writer, you have to have a staff that helps you with get the, yeah, you know, all yeah. these other pieces that, that, that have to do with writing out, you know, you have to get, let people know what's going on. Um, yeah, I saw your, I looked at your Instagram today and it's, it's, I saw your little, your event, uh, post yes. and your, the book, the book bar in New York is such a cool place I love and it. and yeah. you're going to be in a conversation with Becky Charlson, correct? Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. That is cool.
0: She's about, she's hit several episodes back on the show. So she's a lovely, she's really fun. To, she's a fun conversationalist. You guys, I, have. It. I can, I can just picture you guys talking and it would be, it would be everyone needs to go out and see you both because you're both uh, fascinating, young, uh, lovely women. And it'll be a fun <laughs> chat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, it's just great to meet you. Everyone needs to rush out and get the book and your first book too. That one was great as well. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, are for
1: reading that too. Yeah. Friends from home. It's the first one. Shout out to my firstborn. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Sean. It was really great to be here. And thanks for giving me an opportunity to do. This is the first podcast I've done in this cycle. I'm doing a few others, but um, thanks for being my my icebreaker. <laughs> I hope.
0: Oh, well. <laughs> well, I hope it was okay. I hope you were, I hope you enjoyed the experience and I didn't turn you off to podcast for this book. Yet. Absolutely yeah, absolutely not. It was fabulous. Um, it's great. Thank-